0: The idea is just planning everything out from suit to done virtually before you put a shovel in the ground so that when you run a project, you have zero mistakes. And what that does for someone who owns a building is at the end of a project, instead of them getting this roll of dusty blueprints, they get a 3D model.
1: Are you ready to reinvent your organization and create a workplace of the future? Welcome to the Optimized Workplace, My name is Fran Dean Bishop, and I'm the founder and CEO of AeroBody. Join me each week as I welcome innovators, A-listers, and trailblazers who will share their individual experiences with creating an optimized workplace. This podcast will inspire you to find new and unique ways of helping your organization thrive while providing an exceptional experience for your employees and nourishing their well-being. Ready to get started? Learn more at theoptimizedworkplace.co. Welcome to the Optimized Workplace. I'm your host, Fran Dean Bishop. Where our discussions with influencers, experts, and innovators are helping transform the well-being and sustainability of today's workplaces and spaces. Today, I welcome CEO Luciano Okera, founder and CEO of Revit Gods. Revit Gods is a tech consulting firm focusing on helping building designers, contractors, and owners design, coordinate, and manage their buildings. Get this in 3D. Yuchenna is also on the Leadership Committee at the Center of Architecture and Design in Philadelphia, where he works to expose middle school students to careers within building design and construction. Welcome, Yuchenna. Hey, Fran. How are you? Thanks for having me. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to this call. As you know, this is my sweet spot. I sit in the middle of well-being, workspaces, places, people, amplification, all that good stuff. So I'm super excited about this conversation. Awesome. So tell me, what are you up to um, lately with Revit Gods? First of all, you got to tell our listeners a little bit about where in the world did that name come from? <laughs> <laughs> that That is a mouthful, right? Like there's a, there's so many, I'm sure people are just like, okay, Revit Gods, like really you got gods in there? Like what's up? So you really think you're all that? So please <laughs> tell us what is Revit Gods? Where did you get this name?
0: So Revit is the name of a building uh, design program, the most popular one really in the world owned by Autodesk, so I don't own the, the word Revit. But um, my background is in architecture, and there's um, a website that we all used to use to design buildings called RevitCity.com. Um, and it's it's kind of like the Craigslist for building design content. Because uh, you go there, you would download content, it would probably have a virus in it, um, they would have like forums on it. But um, at work, you really weren't recommended to like use this site a lot of times because you know, you just didn't want to crash uh, your work system. So my uh, wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she worked in the tech industry, had a free website um, that, you know, because she, she would buy websites all the time. She had a free one, gave it to me and said, hey, yeah, you can use it. So I said, sure, let me, you know, I at the time I thought, man, it would be cool to create another RevitCity.com. So I typed in Revit and GoDaddy. Um, and all the other terms like Revit people, Revit nerds, Revit, they were all taken. So, like, all right, I'm going to think of the most obnoxious name I can come up with. And Revit gods was available. So I bought it and eventually turned it into the, the name of my consulting firm.
1: <laughs> the story behind the name. That's yeah. pretty daunting as as to use your term obnoxious, but that's pretty daunting. So you must be up to some. Pretty amazing things with Revit Guide. So we have a really broad audience, as you can imagine, with the Optimized Workplace. So we have a lot of thought leaders, but we also have folks who really run, manage really large organizations, sometimes global, sometimes smaller. But then we also have a lot of you know entrepreneurs and consultants who are sitting in, in multiple spaces, whether it's employee engagement or just great workspaces like Well Certified, Fit Well, etc. So what was it that inspired you? to start, um, you know, this this organization and who inspires you to keep your work going?
0: I guess I can give you the real answer because, you know, I know you. <laughs> so
1: um, I don't know if I was necessarily... Keep it real. Inspired. You know, I'm all about keeping it real.
0: Yeah, I don't, think, I don't know if I was necessarily inspired. I was working as an architect in Philadelphia. I was literally the only Black guy in every office I've ever worked in. And, uh, you know, I, I just didn't have a ton of opportunities to excel in my career usually in architecture the only way to um outside of doing good work you have to go to happy hours you have to participate in a lot of extracurriculars and i didn't have a lot of money they didn't pay me a ton of money uh working at architecture firms so you know i uh kind of stuck to myself and um you know i did good at work i was really good at uh the the design programs that we use to design buildings, because I felt like that is what would get me ahead or or try to, and, and plus getting a job for me was extremely difficult. So I got really good at this partner called Revit. Um, and in between jobs, um, there was a, a company that hired me to consult with them. It's the first time I, even, I didn't know what consulting was. So I got hired as a consultant, um, and at the time, had already accepted a full-time job somewhere else as an architect. My boss was so cool at the time that she allowed me to go down with like four days a week, consult one day a week. And that one day a week, I made, uh, you know, I had no clue consulting made so much money. I made, you know, <laughs> what I would normally make that whole week. I did make it a lot as an architect. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a no brainer. That was a, that was an easy decision to make, huh?
0: To me it was a no brainer. And, um, so initially, I I did it because financially it was it was a way for me to finally make a good living in this um and and what is really a quote unquote vanity career it comes with a lot of prestige but you know it, it just initially didn't come with a ton of money um and so I uh, was just trying to figure out a way to make it in my career um eventually uh, I sort of be, you know developed a love for just the industry as a whole and what it meant, um, where it's going right now. I'm a sort of a real tech nerd. So, um, so yeah, I I'm really excited about what we're doing today and, and the type of work that we're doing with several of our clients and the companies we work with.
1: It's phenomenal. I love it. I love, well, I love entrepreneurship. You know, I've been in, doing it for 25 years myself, so I love it. I love to to see people aspiring to do something different and, You know, I'm all about the pivot. I've been through multiple pivots. So I know all about the pivot, not just on the dance floor. So I get it. And I get that, you you know, you found your place and you're doing it. So tell us a little bit about, I think, some of the exciting projects. I think that, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot happening in construction. You and I have talked before about, uh, I think, the inspiration of just seeing where we're going 10 years now, 20 years from now, when it comes to, you know, clean energy and buildings and and having really sustainable spaces and spaces that really make people feel alive and feel excited, not the whole bricks and mortar cement, you know, drafty, the old, the old uh models, but the new models, right? And you know, you're looking at buildings in a whole different way when you think about 3D modeling of them. So before any dirt hits the pavement. And your clients even begin, you can give them, you know, a rendition of what they're possibly looking at. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, what that does look like in terms of trends and around uh, built spaces, since we spend so much time in built spaces.
0: The first thing to understand is that um, the U.S. construction industry is one of the biggest in the world. Spends about $1.4 trillion per year. One third of that is pure mistakes, meaning that they (laughs) install something... In the building, it does not fit. They rip it out and they redo the work. That is a third of construction budgets.
1: Is that by accident or is that completely on purpose? <laughs> this <is> by accident. <laughs> that's a whole lot of that's a whole lot of money of mistakes to tell me that that's all, you know. Um, oh, we didn't know that was gonna happen. Really? Yeah, is it planning?
0: It's a mix of things. And and so um and, and I'll just explain this to you, and this is kind of why we have a business. So uh, usually, traditionally, when an architect today develops a um, set of construction documents, uh, that architect, a lot of times, um, they're not necessarily laser scanning. If they're doing a reservation, sometimes they're not like doing a proper survey of the building or laser scanning it. Or sometimes they don't know what the real conditions of what they're dealing with. Um, they're also not sometimes designing with the exact pieces that the contract is going to go to Home Depot and buy and go use to build the product. So a lot of times the the architect is putting together a set of construction documents that is more of a suggestion of this is how we think the building should look and how it should come together. The general contractor takes that suggestion and says, great, I'm going to go to Home Depot and see if I can find pieces that are similar to what the architect wants and is, and is trying to specify. So what happens a lot of time is two things. One, the general contractor picks something as a slightly different size or has slightly different fit requirements than what was originally designed. Or B, the architect gets to site and realize, well, you know, whatever the architect measured isn't quite what's really here. So, you know, we have to kind of like plan this on the fly. And and that's the majority of construction projects right now, where guys get to site uh, and they're trying to make the best of the situation.
1: That sounds like the renovation project my husband and I did a couple of years ago on our house. Like, we know we told the contractor, but what showed up a lot of times is like, what? Like, what in the world? What are you doing? I gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And therein yeah. lies the budget on modifications and and why that happens. Okay, that's making sense.
0: Yeah. So think about your home renovation, but scale that up to like a 500,000 square foot building. Um, that those problems are happening a lot. So the idea is, you know, what if you could plan out everything virtually? So model every single thing in 3D. Um, and, and just really plan out everything virtually. Um, model in 3D the exact component suit that you're going to buy. Uh, uh, plan out the entire design, coordinate it, even simulate deliveries so that you could plan out where the boxes are gonna go on site um, and you could plan that stuff out. So the idea is just planning everything out from suit to nuts virtually before you put a shovel in the ground so that when you run a project, you have zero mistakes. And what that does for someone who owns a building is at the end of a project, instead of them getting you know, this roll of dusty blueprints, they get a 3D model that their facilities guys can use for management. They can use that to replace equipment. They can use that for renovations. They can use that for sales and leasing to see which units are available or not available, whatever the case may be. But it really extends the life of uh, their building and the usefulness of it.
1: I love that. Okay. So I want to talk, I want to put on our strategy hat for a second, because I think based on what you've explained to our audience, there's a lot of applications for this 3D modeling and what you all do, right? So, you know, if you're thinking about the space that you work or live in, um, it, it's funny, my husband and I were out to dinner the other night and we walked by this um, I guess they call it live-use space now where you can work there, you can live there. It's kind of like shared amenities, which I thought was really weird. My husband looked at me and said, what does that mean? I said, I think it means that people are sharing toilets and showers that <laughs> don't know each other, which is kind of gross. And I don't think I want to get into that, but whatever. If that's what works and you know, that's the model we're in, okay, fine. But getting back to this old strategy idea, right? Is that you know, if in fact you're in a, let's say you're an existing space and you know the space has to be remodeled for this, you know, new hybrid workforce, remote workforce. And you're kind of low on totem pole. You're not really part of the facilities management or construction team, but you want to have a say around again what can possibly happen in terms of future use. And as you've explained to us with with Revit guides and using three 3D modeling, you can certainly plan for the future to avoid costly mistakes or costly use cases that the end user wouldn't benefit from. How do you be part of that strategy narrative, if you will, and part of that conversation around what's possible? Because I think that you're amplifying an an incredible opportunity uh, for not just people who sit in construction, but let's face it, for people who are wearing a talent management hat, for instance, in an organization, Mm -hmm. right? You're responsible for maybe, you know, I've got clients that are responsible for a thousand people on their team And those thousand people have to take up spaces in these buildings. So how do you how are you part of the strategic narrative conversation around what we do with this space in the future?
0: So let's say and just like you're saying, like, let's say, you know, you're not very high up on the total poll and you do want to have a say um, in these types of conversations. There are um, pretty low level tools that you can use to help you plan out space. You know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is making these tools available to the average person. Because I, you know, I think in the next 40, 50 years, everyone's going to be able to design and put a building up without having to go on a college for it. Um, so- Oh,
1: oh my goodness. That's, whoa. <laughs> we got it. Okay, I'm going to write that down and table that because that's another question. Go for it. For sure.
0: So we just created a partnership with a uh, software company called Giraffe. And all, all it is, is just imagine um, a Google map or Google Earth with um, 3D buildings all over the place that tells you, that gives you um, basic information on you know what uh, parts of that map are retail, what parts of that map is education. It pretty much gives you zoning information. Um, and then it allows you to just do really basic 3D modeling uh, within on, on top of that 3D map that you can use to spit out sort of like a, a calculator of saying, hey, if I, you know, if I draw this this square up uh for like five floors and I know I'm gonna have a I need about like 50 square foot per person, it'll give you basic metrics on how many people you could fit in this particular space or or help you make decisions on, you know, I don't know if this block is the right place to buy. Maybe we should check out this other location that's against. Some other piece of zoning. So the uh, long story short, there's enough, um, there's some really good tools out today that okay. the regular person can use to try to make decisions and present it to the stakeholders that you know talk about the stuff.
1: Okay, so let me drill that down a little bit. So somebody in, in my space, so the industry I sit in, you know, we're called in a lot to help. Um, not just building owners, but sometimes it's, it's the facilities management team or uh, the engineering team redesign a wellness center or wellness space. Or let's say they've got, I don't know, 5,000 square feet and they want to redesign this. So it is it is very much, uh, you know, can be used in a, a lot of different ways. But wellness is a component of that. But they also want that remote piece. Are there tools out there that someone like me? Who sits in industry could use with a client to perhaps help them as they're you know trying to make strategic decisions going forward.
0: Ah, uh, sure, yeah. So there is a tool I think Unity, um, which uh, is a company that traditionally develops video games, but they have some interesting AR um, augmented reality tools that they've just come out with. That it's, you know you pretty much take your phone or an iPad. And you, uh, either take pictures of the space or you pull your camera up of the space and allows you to drop elements onto the space, like furniture, workout station allows you to change the color of the walls and, and you can do it all real time, uh, with their tools. So, um, so there are tools that you can use today as a regular person that, you know, you can start to visualize with
1: your client. Fabulous. So that pivots well into where I wanted to go next. So you obviously are, um, I think, a, a big thinker, innovator, thought leader. You, obviously, you started this company. You guys are off to the races. You're doing really well. So he's being incredibly mo- modest, everyone. But Uchenna's company is doing incredibly well. Very proud of him. We we met through uh, uh, another program, but uh, just I'm fascinated by some of the work you're doing. But what do you think about drumroll, the metaverse? And what do you foresee, if anything, you know, Revit God's uh, potential uh, play might be in the metaverse going forward? It, it seems like it's here to stay. A lot of people are using it for business. Some people are using it just to, you know, find another life, whatever you want to call it. But you know, what what do you think about it?
0: So the metaverse is really interesting. I mean, obviously, everyone's been talking about it from more of a social perspective. Um, I see it having very big implications on a business level where, uh, you know, the sort of the buzz term everyone's using is, is this word called digital twin. Mm-hmm. And and I think the metaverse is really a place that is a digital place or virtual place that you're going to use to manage the real world. So if you can imagine, um, let's just say, Fran, you're in DC, right? So just yeah. imagine that uh, all the buildings in DC are converted into a 3D model and imported into some type of metaverse that someone can control. Just to you know, visualize simple things like LED lighting. Like let's say we just want to turn the whole city blue today, right? And allows you to visualize what that would actually look like, and you know how that would affect maybe the traffic lights or you know whatever the case may be. But It it just allows you to run simulations and also actually control the physical world. Um, And and other, like more practical areas where you would do that, and like, let's say, a single building is, you know, if I'm a building owner, let's say I own like 50 properties, and, you know, I have some in Texas and I have some just across the country and some across the world. Um, Ideally, I'd like to manage it from one computer. I don't want to travel to all these different places. Um, I think that again, the Metaverse is going to be this place where you can monitor the temperature of all your various properties. You'll be able to uh, track airflow, water consumption, um, you'll be able to track how many people are going in and out of your building at any given time and also and and literally control them from one place. And from a business perspective, I think that's um really the the true opportunity of that this concept of the metaverse.
1: Now, what you just described, it's interesting you, you bring this up because what you just described, um, you know, there's tools that we've been using, you know, for decades in, in the fitness and wellness space where we're able to control access points right coming into a facility who's using it because we have to use that data for usage to report back to our clients you know what's the usage data you know how many people what's the time of day how do we do programming and all that yada 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 so do the tools actually exist today that marry the outside world with what you see in the metaverse so you can actually do those controls or are you saying that that's coming in the future that's what you see as a trend
0: no the tools are here n- right now um they totally exist Yeah. Um, so there's two big barriers of entry. Um, the first barrier entry is, uh, one, America has a lot of old buildings that are not properly documented. Mm -hmm. So there is quite a bit of an expense just to have someone go through and laser scan a property and then, and then 3D model it. Uh, so that you can use it in this metaverse world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the first barrier. Um, the second barrier is to be able to do this, you have to install a lot of sensors. Um, and again, for a lot of these old buildings, um, you have to find a way to, um, depending on what you're tracking, you have to find a way to kind of like poke a hole in the wall or the ceiling to put a sensor, um, install a sensor so you can start to do some of this smart tracking. So. Um that cost is uh, for some owners is, is pretty steep. And uh, but I think over time that cost is gonna start to come down and make it a lot more practical for more and more property owners to, to adopt it.
1: Okay, very nice. I think that's fantastic. We again we sit in DC, so we do work with the federal government, we work with a lot of you know local, state, municipalities, and I think what you've just mentioned is incredibly interesting to engineers or facilities management folks who are managing these buildings. We, even as a company, you know, have been tasked with trying to go back and aggregate the data of, you know, endless amounts of equipment (laughs) and furniture that has never been put on any sort of amortization schedule. They have no idea, no aging schedule, nothing. So you're absolutely right. I mean, and that has to happen. And there's, there's a lot more of that. Unfortunately that real estate and that, you know, assets that are on the balance sheet than the new. So oh my I think- gosh,
0: I'm sorry. It, uh, just you saying that, I think mergers and acquisitions will go a lot faster. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So any finance folks on you, you, listen to that. That's huge, though. I think you're absolutely right. You're just basically modernizing and digitizing, you know, your assets, which that's the way of the future. You have to do that. So in buildings, so much more so, right? So switch gears. Let's let's talk a little bit about um, our spaces. And keep in mind, again, you know, people are probably listening to this podcast are probably working remotely for the most part. That's the new wave of the future. Everybody wants to work remote. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, what in your mind, you look at buildings all day, you look at assets within those buildings all day, as we just mentioned, what do you think to you, you know, if there's the one investment? that a property owner, developer, what have you, should be making um, besides obviously 3D modeling their building. And if so, call Revit guys. Hey, where's that one investment that it's low hanging fruit, game changer, they should absolutely be thinking about doing over the next five years. And it's soup to nuts, right? When I think about the well-certified features, it can go, uh, concepts, it can go, there's a hundred different ways in which they can touch a building and make it more sustainable and healthy and, and clean. So in your opinion, what would you say that might be?
0: I guess it depends on, you know, what they would want to accomplish. I, and, and maybe this is just too hot of a topic, but um, <laughs> in terms of, you know, because I, I think uh, if it was me and just to be a, totally transparent, if I um, was in maybe commercial real estate and I had offices um, I, obviously the, I think the one thing I would invest in is like sort of flex work desk, you know, um, so that you kind of do away with this whole kind con- and this is just me talking as a designer, um, you know, so that you kind of do away with this concept of, of people coming into an office and owning a particular desk.
1: Are you saying more like the shared work model where people can just move around and, and not have any assigned space, but they can move and they are more modular. Correct. Yeah. Think, okay.
0: Yeah, and yeah. So instead of having um people assigned to a computer, everyone gets assigned maybe like a, a work laptop um that can they can plug an HDMI to to a bigger screen and they can be a lot more flexible. And there's a lot of reasons why I think this is um really huge. I run a remote company, right? So um everyone um we don't have like a physical office, um, but even in my company, there are some it would be advantageous to, in some locations to have a physical place for people to go. For example, I have a young lady that works in Oregon who this section in Oregon she's she's in, she gets a lot of power outages and sometimes the internet goes out, right? Um, so although working from home is pretty cool, it honestly depends on where you live. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> Absolutely <so> it, true.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it would be, you know, nice for her to just take her laptop, you know, go, go to either... You know, in our situation, we'll probably send it to a co-working space, but it would be nice to have this sort of like flex work situation for people who live in all of these various situations and, um, you know, can have the option of where they want to work and how they want to work. Because uh, people would come into the office, you just have to kind of uh, make the, the space appealing to them. And unfortunately, a lot of office spaces, especially ones we look at, um, don't look that great to work in. So.
1: I totally agree. I I love that. And I think you're absolutely right. I think as we move forward, uh, that use of being able to flex the space, I mean, if people are flexing their living situations, as I said, I saw the other day, then obviously you can flex the workspace. So as we kind of round the bend and uh, finish out our conversation, I'd love to hear more about uh, this leadership committee that you're on uh, for the Center of Architecture and Design in Philadelphia and the work that you're doing with students there. I think it's phenomenal that you've started your company um, with the idea of social impact and giving back and finding a way that uh, you can leverage that in terms of architecture and design and bring more young people into the conversation, especially young people of color. You know They're living in these spaces too. So what can we do to do more sustainability models and involve them in that conversation? But can you tell us a little bit more about that work?
0: Sure. So I'll I'll first tell you a little bit about sort of like my personal story and background of why I'm doing this work to begin with. So uh, so in high school, um, I did a lot of fine art and I had no intentions of going to school for architecture. You know, I have these two Nigerian parents that only believe in three careers that you could have in life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that joke somewhere.
0: Yeah. So
1: it's true then, huh?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so my junior year, I I decide all right, I, my parents aren't going to let me study art, so I'm going to choose architecture, uh, which is close to engineering. I get rejected from every uh, architecture school I apply to. Now, mind you, I at the time I was going to the top public school in the state of New Jersey, it was, like ranked number one for a decade. Had <laughs> I, I was, uh, you know, I, I had great GPA, um, you know, every I had everything going for me. Um, but I just couldn't get into architecture school, and uh, at all. So I didn't realize that for you to become an architect, you have to almost decide to become one, basically when you're ten. And really, yes. <laughs> How
1: so? Tell us more.
0: So, because what happens is, is that well, the reason why I was getting rejected is one, I just didn't have a portfolio um, that reflected.
1: They want yeah. your portfolio from the age of 10?
0: Well, they want your, they want to see a portfolio when you apply to architecture to, to college. So you have to have a portfolio built up uh, by the time you're 18, meaning that you would have had to participate in architecture programs in high school, maybe your sophomore, uh, well, not your senior because it's too late, so freshman, sophomore, and junior meaning that you would have had to develop an interest in architecture by the time you're in middle school, basically 10.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like football players. Like you can't decide that you're going to one day want to play for the NFL at 19. Like that need to have been decided at seven.
0: Exactly.
1: Interesting. Okay. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I didn't realize that for that career, I would have had to you know, kind of know what I want to do for the rest of my life that early. That's kind of like bonkers to me. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was really hard for me to get into architecture school. And, um, you know, right now in our industry, we're facing an extremely large talent gap. Um, there's sort of like, a, um, there's literally a, a, a 1 million person worker shortage in our industry. Yeah. So. Why
1: is that, Eugenio? Can you Why do you think that is?
0: The worker shortage is both in design and construction, but the industry has changed um, a lot. The the biggest thing is that in middle schools and in high schools, they got rid of wood shop classes. So those basic skills that you would have learned um, in elementary school, high school, that would have helped you gain the interest. Kids um, around those ages, they're not really being pushed into the trades anymore or being pushed into architecture. They're being pushed into to go to college to be a doctor, a lawyer, or some professional. It, it, or it. Yeah, because yeah. someone convinced them that working in construction just isn't that sexy. So, <laughs> <laughs> you though it a lot of money. So, so you, there's two things. The industry has changed a ton. Um, so the the current people in sh- industry industry don't have the skills um, anymore, and or they don't have the skills to keep up with the changes that have happened. And then two, this is, there's no pipeline right now at all. The plan is to try to recreate that pipeline. And we're focused on middle school because that's where you have to focus gotcha. um, to get people in the industry.
1: That's phenomenal. You know, that so correlates with this report I saw last week on the news, CBS News. I love to watch CBS Morning. And Tony, it's Tony, Gale and Nate. So Tony did this story on the shortage of folks going into, and particularly men, there's a 7 million man shortage in America of men who have left the workforce and they focused on the woodworking shops, like you just said, that's in high school, the drafting programs, all those um, programs that were more technical than they are and they're focusing so much on it right and like you said some of the disciplines like being a lawyer or a doctor or nursing that this one is getting completely left so we need help because we have need places to live and to work in so that's not a good thing so i I, apparently this program that you're working on is it curating a lot of young people especially young young men and women
0: yeah so the idea of it is and so we're the idea is to start in Philadelphia, but the idea is to pretty much write curriculums. Um, cause the tough thing is, is that we can't really bring woodshop classes back just because of how expensive it is to do that. Like it's just not a scalable model.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so the, where we're starting right now is writing curriculums that, um, we can insert at any middle school. And, uh, it's a curriculum that's easy enough for any teacher to adopt. So it's almost like, building design in a box, right? <laughs> the, the teacher, it, yeah. you know kids this concept. But um but the goal is to come up with a model that will introduce kids to the profession, um not just architecture, but just building design and construction as a whole. Um, it'll introduce them to the profession. um By being involved with the center of architecture, it'll introduce these kids to people in the industry. So they'll know, they'll at least know an architect or someone who was in construction or interior design. Um, And the last important thing is just knowing what they do. A lot of these kids have no clue what they do, so therefore, they have, there's no reason for them to develop an interest in getting there. So um, so if we can check the box on those three things, um, you know, uh, they know someone in it, they know what they do, (laughs) uh, and they know how to get into programs, um, then we feel like we can scale that across other cities.
1: You absolutely can. And I, I love, 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 and applaud what you're doing because I think the earlier you reach them and just let them know it's an opportunity. Like, you know, very similarly, you'd probably be shocked, but very similarly, when I started my company in the 90s, you know, I was the only in fitness and wellness most times. I mean, going to corporate, absolutely. And for the longest time, it, there were very few um, women of color, in the fitness and wellness space that ran and managed fitness and wellness companies. Now that game has changed a lot because you can you can enter the environment um, more digitally, but it's expensive to get in, if you can imagine, because either you're a manufacturer of fitness equipment or you run a gym, which is bricks and mortar, and it costs a lot to be able to do that, or you understand the back end of it. So, you know, we've been doing it for 25 years. So we have multiple lines of service where we can help and impact. But, you know, I think the barrier to entry was so high that a lot of people didn't look to this. So same thing. I I applaud what you're doing because I think, again, the earlier you can introduce people to the opportunity and the fact that they can get in, they just need to know how and where and I remember that was a question I used to get, you know, 15 so years ago. How did you even get started with this? How did you even get in? Who did right. you know? Who did you talk to? So I think that's a, a lot of times it's the scratching of the head. People need to know that. So as we bring this to a close, um, how do people get a hold of you at Revit Gods if they want to do business or are interested in building a 3D model of their building or internal structure of their organization?
0: So the best way to get in touch is literally just submit an inquiry on our website. So if you go to ravocast.com, uh hit the contact button and submit an inquiry. That comes to actually comes straight to me and my uh assistant and we'll get right back to you. Um but yeah, but that's the best way. Um and uh yeah, we're uh growing extremely rapidly uh because <laughs> this is a super dynamic space. We have really great people on our team and yeah, we just can't wait to be a part of this uh, new d- virtual digital future that is emerging right now in the country.
1: Well, I think you are definitely a game changer when it comes to it. You are definitely someone to watch. You Utena, I think your work is fascinating. And I think what's happening in the industry is fascinating. It's a, it's a very interesting, I think, inflection point because there's going to be a lot of change very quickly. And if you don't like change, this is not a place for you to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are and you're into that and you're looking to learn more, you know, check out Utena. He can be reached on LinkedIn too. Great profile there. It's been a great conversation. And as we bring this to a close, we want to thank you listeners for being with us this afternoon. And remember, it's always many monumental moments that can make the biggest change for your future. I'm Fran Dean Bishop, your host of the Optimized Workplace. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Optimized Workplace. For more insights and resources, visit theoptimizedworkplace.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word and share with those who will enjoy it as well. See you soon.